Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. Lord, we thank you for the giving of your people. We thank you for the sacrifice we brought to you. We ask that it will be acceptable by you in the name of Jesus. Speak to our hearts as we open your word and grant us understanding of what you want to teach us. For in Jesus' name, we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, It's such a privilege to um, bless the house this morning. I do not take it for granted. Uh, Pastor, thank you for such a privilege to be able to speak and share the word this morning. And I pray that as we share this morning, the Lord will open our hearts to the things he wants us to learn in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, So this morning when Pastor came in and he saw me wearing tie, I was like, I don't have any right to tell him that he shouldn't wear tie again because last week when he wore a tie, I was like, Pastor, you're wearing a tie. (laughs) So I, I copied him basically. I took after him to wear tie the same way he wore last week. So, Pastor, um, we're learning from you. And hopefully, uh, the grace that rests upon this house will be available this morning to share the word um, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I do not have any jokes to share. (laughs) 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 Unfortunately, I don't have jokes uh, because I don't have the... uh, Pastor has a sense of humor that I still aspire to, have, to achieve and get to. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm aspiring to aspire to get to. <laughs> yeah, so we trust God that um, irrespective of there, being, there not being any jokes, that the Lord will bless our hearts this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I was speaking to us on a topic called The Promise. The Promise. Now, um, this message is pretty much of a personal dimension. It has a personal dimension for me because um, recently I, I went through something that really affected my mental well-being. Um, so I, I recently just moved to a country, right? And then um, when I moved in, for the first time in a long time, in almost 13, 13 years, I, I was jobless. I didn't have a job. I wasn't doing anything. And... Um, at first, it didn't bother me because I knew what God had promised me when I was coming in because he had promised me that I would enjoy prosperity. And I, and I firmly believed that. I believed that so strongly. And so the first month came, the second month went, and the third month was about to start. And I still did not have a job. I, I was like, oh, no issues. And then Russia invaded Ukraine. <laughs> and I started listening to news. And because of... The news I was listening to, I listened to a lot of podcasts and um, news bulletins, and they talked about the fact that there are going to be attendant economic crises that would happen because of the fact that Russia is the food bank, food basket, I'm sorry, Ukraine and Russia, they control most of the grains in the world and all that. And so their implication upon other parts of the world was going to be profound. And so I began to get agitated to say, ah, before this thing goes around the world, let me quickly get a job before I'm locked out of the job market. And then nothing was happening. It, it felt like, ah, did God really speak to me about this? Because after that period, all the rejection mails that I haven't received, they all just started pouring into my email. And it felt like, what's going on? Why is everybody rejecting me? And I was 
agitated. And then the reality I was seeing was that, boy, you're going to be jobless for an extended period of time. And that reality loomed larger than the promises that God had given to me. And that became pretty much the reality of the things I was consuming, the things that were getting into my head, began to fill my head that I lost sight of what God had promised. And then I succumbed to my fears. I know this experience I share is not something unique to me because a lot of us experienced it over the last two years. COVID came in and it changed the way most of us thought about things. Over 6.5 million people died worldwide and they're still dying and it's still here. It had changed the way we thought about things. And after that, we begin to see how cost of things begin to rise. Interest rate is going up now. You want to get a mortgage, you know it's a lot more expensive now. You want to buy anything, you want to get a loan from the bank. It's a lot more expensive. And we all remember what happened in 2018, in 2008, when there was a global financial economic crisis, that the whole, there was a meltdown. And everybody's agitated. It was one of the things I saw that got me agitated and I was thinking, Lord, I don't want to experience that again. And, of course, Ukraine and Russia happened. Right now, across the world, there are over 14 countries where there are different types of wars happening with almost about, about over a, a, a thousand casualties in those places. And you see all of these things. And you begin to ask yourself, what's going on? And then you now add the natural disaster that is happening, Hurricane Fiona, Hurricane Ian, that is happening all over the place. It could become very overwhelming for us. And we begin to ask ourselves, if God is true, if the promises of God are real, why is there so much pain upon the earth? Why are we having to go through all of this? Why are things this bad? It's a legitimate, these are legitimate questions to ask because if we are thinking people, we ask ourselves, if God says it's good, why are these things happening? And this is not an unfamiliar thing. This is a state that Jesus' disciples were in as well. They met Jesus and they saw him as the Messiah. The Messiah for them was the one who was going to reestablish the kingdom of David. He was going to come back and then he was going to, he, they expected that the Messiah would come and reestablish Israel to greatness. So they saw Jesus as their ticket to greatness. I mean, if Jesus was going to be the king of Israel and they were his disciples, and they knew that they were going to be great men afterwards, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he told them he was going to die. Do you know how that felt? We had left everything for you. I mean, Matthew was a publican. He was a rich man. And he has let everything to come and become Jesus' disciple. And you are telling me that you are going to die? Dude, what's going to happen to everything I left behind? And when he told them that, they were despondent. They had despair. They were thinking, that this doesn't add up. And then when he gave them that, Jesus had to give them a word of comfort. And that would be the basis of what we'll be looking at today. So please, let's turn our Bibles to the book of um, John. John chapter 14. And we'll read from verse 1. Um, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in me, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. So Jesus here was speaking to his disciples, and he was telling them that, see, I know the state of your heart. I know that you, you see the things I've told you, and they're troubling you. It's the same way he's also giving us this promise. And he's telling us categorically that, irrespective of what is going on, I see what you're going through, but don't let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled by the things you see. You trust God, right? Also trust me. Believe in what I'm telling you. I am going to prepare a place for you, and then I will come back when everything is ready, and I will take you with me. But you know what? Jesus' disciples, they really did not understand what he was saying. They saw it and were like, okay, so what exactly are you talking about? How do I know this? Look at the next verse, in verse 5. No, we do not know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. I mean, he has said all those beautiful words, and Thomas comes back and says, dude, we don't know where you are going to. Tell us, where are you going to? We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? So we can see clearly that Thomas had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And that was the state of most of his disciples, because most of the things he told them, they did not understand the fullness of what he told them until he had died and they were resurrected. And that's the same way it is for most of us. We, we see this thing, and we see this passage, when we read this passage of the Bible, um, for most of us who grew up in Sunday school, you remember this one? In my father's house, there are many mansions there. That's what comes to our hearts. When we see this, we see, ah, in my father's house, there are many mansions, and I will be happy forever. But is that all there is to this scripture? Is that all there is to what Jesus was talking to his disciples about? And so before we go further, I'd like to... I'll be dividing this topic into three broad perspectives so that we can share from it. And the first one will be the message. Sorry, the big picture. There was a big picture Jesus was trying to paint for his disciples. What was it? The second one will be the message. What was Jesus trying to pass through this big picture? And the third will be Jesus' expectation. What are his expectations, right? So the big picture. The big picture was Jesus was trying to paint for his disciples. When we see that word, when we see the things he had said in that, that word, it looked very, very um, amazing on the surface. Told them, do not be troubled. I am going away. I will come back. Because in my father's house, there are many mansions. Very soothing words. But was this all that Jesus was trying to tell his disciples? For us to better understand it, I would like to paint, tell us a story. Right? Because... Jesus was speaking to an audience that was um, living in ancient Jew, right? Ancient Jewry. And so he was painting a picture, an imagery that was quite familiar to them. And so for us to better understand, I'd like to paint a similar imagery that portrays what Jesus was talking about. So I'll tell us a story of two couple. Um, their names are Eli and Leah. They are Jews who grew up during the times of Jesus in ancient times. Now, Eli saw Leah and wanted to marry Leah. But in those days, the Jews don't date. They don't do dating. They don't have dating game. You see a person, you go to tell your father, I have found a woman, and your father will go to go and meet the person, the, the lady's parents, and tell them, 
My son has found your daughter. He wants to marry her. So that was the way it was with Eli and Leah, right? Eli saw Leah and then he told his father, I have found a woman. Please go get her for me. And so Eli and his family went to Leah's house. And when they got to Leah's house, they told Leah that our son has found your daughter. He wants to get married to your daughter. And then the parents agreed and they had to call Leah to say, okay, Leah, do you agree to marry this man? And she said, yes, I agree. Fine. So the next thing they did was they do, what they, they do a ritual which is called like the mikvah in the Hebrew tongue. So this mikvah is like a spiritual cleansing ceremony that happens before they do their betrothal. So the couple will be immersed in water. So it happens, it feels like a spiritual cleansing and it's also a sign of mutual commitment to each other where they show that they are committed to one another. So after they've done, they did this mikvah. The next thing for them to do is to agree on their ceremony. So they go into a covenant, which is like a betrothal covenant that is established between the two of them. So that betrothal covenant is what they call the um, Kadishma. So, yeah, the Katuba, I mean, the Katuba. Now, this Katuba is in the ancient Hebrew, they see it as the most important part of the wedding because there you have the terms of engagement, the bridal price what will happen in case they are divorced. And so they have all of that spelled out. So Leah and um, Eli, they had this katuba and then they had it over a cup of wine. So typically they would do a benediction and then they would have a cup of wine and then they seal the katuba. Now, the Jews see the katuba, once they've had that ceremony, they see it as they are legally married. It's a legal agreement. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us about a similar practice when we're looking at the story of Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other. They had done the katuba, but they were not living together. Then Joseph found out that she was pregnant. And so Joseph could not just cancel the ceremony. He needed to divorce her legally. We see that in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, reading from verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So we see a similar experience where a couple had done the katuba, the way seen as being legally married. Okay, please stay with me. It's an interesting story. There's always a happy ever after bit to the story. Okay, now so Eli and uh, Leah, they had they've had the katuba, they had it over a cup of wine, and then Eli was now required to pay the bride price for Leah because he needed to take Leah back to his house. So he paid the price. The price, according to them, they call the bride price, they call it the mohair, right? So after he had done that, it was now time for the couple to be separated. So in the Jewish tradition, there's always a period when after the bride price has been paid, the groom will need to go back to his father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for the wife and come back later and pick her up. And so that was the practice. And so Eli was about to leave. He turned to Leah and told her, I go to prepare a place for you. 
I will come back and receive you to myself. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like what Jesus has said? Stay with me. And so, while they went, they parted ways, that period of parting, Leah was expected to make sure that she was getting her clothes ready, all the things she required for her matrimonial home, her wedding gown, the lamp she needs to take, her bridal, whatever it is, she needed to make sure that they were all ready and prepared so that in case Eli came back, she was ready to go with him. And that was the same way it was with Eli. Eli had gone to his father's house and he was preparing a chalice for her so that when he goes back to pick his wife, his wife is bride, she would have a place she can stay. And so he needed to make sure he stuck up on what was required for them, for their honeymoon. So that chalice was pretty much like a honeymoon suite that they will be together for a while when they go back. And so Eli was doing all that he could to make sure that he got it ready. And typically in those days, it will take about 12 months for that chalice to be ready. However, despite the fact that it takes about 12 months, Eli doesn't know when he would have to go back to pick his bride. Why? Because even when he has finished preparing the chalice, his father still needs to inspect the house to be sure that that chalice is in the right shape to receive his bride. You know, he's living in his father's house. The Jews typically live in their father's house, and so they just build out of it. And so Eli would require his father to give his approval after the chalet has been prepared. And so until the approval was given, Eli did not know when he would have to go back to his father's house. So what will Leah be doing? And typically, like the typical Jewish lady she was, Leah was making sure she was ready. She did not say because Eli was far away, was in his far country, she wasn't prostituting herself with other men. She stayed chaste to him. She made sure that she was always looking forward to the fact that this guy has paid my bride price already, so I belong to him. So when other guys came around and were trying to flirt with her, she stood firm and said, no, I am not, I, have, I belong to someone else, right? And she was always in the lookout because she knew that her bridegroom could come at any time. And in those days, the, the Jews, they have a very funny um, tradition, right? They always like to, their weddings to happen at night. The bride could come, the groom could come at the dead of the night. That's when they will have, you just see the groom will come and come and pick. And Jesus Christ actually gave us a similar, a similar scenario when he was talking about the ten virgins. When I read that first story, I was like, who does wedding at night? I mean, why would Jesus come in the day? Why would the bridegroom come in the dead of night? But that is the Jewish tradition because they thought it was very romantic for the man to come and then steal his wife at the dead of the night. That was what it was. That was the tradition it was. So typically it's expected that the bride will be ready. So let me just, let's just read from the book of Matthew chapter 25 in verse 6 to verse 7. It said, at midnight... These ten virgins, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up, prepared their lamps. So that was how the Jews practiced their wedding. When it was time for the bridegroom to come, he would come at the middle of the night. Okay? So now, 
um, Leah knew that her groom could come at any time, so she needed to make sure she was ready and get and she got set for him. And so then, Eli's father now gave approval and told him, go get Leah. And so he came. He traveled with his friends. And because he was coming from a long distance, and typically like the Jews, they made sure that their journey was at the dead of the night. And so he arrived at night, and then he was announced like a thief in the night who came to steal his bride. And so he stole his bride and went with her. The Jews considered this very romantic because they say that the bride was stolen by the one who has proven himself to be worthy to pay her bridal price. And so he comes at night and then steals his wife and goes away. And so Eli came, stole Leah, and went away. But you know what would have happened if Leah wasn't ready? Or maybe she was in another man's house. Or maybe she was doing something else. And she did not have her things ready. Eli would have come and would have been disappointed. But Eli came, he found her ready, and he took her. And so Eli went, took Leah to his father's house. And when they got there, there was a crowd of witnesses. People had gathered, well-wishers, waiting to welcome Leah. And so um, everybody was glad to see Leah. And then Eli took her into the chalet he had prepared. And then um, they consummated the wedding. And Leah's, um, Eli's best man was waiting at the door to find out if he found her chaste. And so when he found her chaste, he told his best man that, ah, she's a virgin. And so the best man came out and announced to everybody, she's a virgin. And everybody shouted, and then they started having a feast. And they had a feast that lasted seven days. And so they lived happily ever after. You like the story? Oh, yeah. So that was the story Jesus was trying to paint. Because he was telling his disciples that, I am the bridegroom, and I'm coming back again to take my bride. So let's go into the, third, the second part of our message, which is the message Jesus was trying to pass. Jesus was making clear by the story, by what he was saying, that he was the bridegroom, that he's been betrothed to his bride, which is the church. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 22 to verse 32, it paints a clear picture of our covenant relationship with Jesus, who is our bridegroom. I read, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of his word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For if a man who loves his, husband, his wife actually shows love for himself, no one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it, just as Jesus cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scripture says, 
A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one another. This is a great mystery. People, marriage is not a mystery. We know that. We've been getting married since the days of Adam. Adam and Eve, we know what marriage is. But he says, this is a great mystery. What mystery is he talking about? The relationship between Christ and his church. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Jesus represents Eli in the story I just painted to us. Because he had paid the price for us. And we, the church, are his bride. So he had done everything. And let's look at it in the context of the story we painted. What were the things Jesus had done to show to us that he was the bridegroom? Number one, he took the mikvah. The mikvah, like I said, was a sign, a symbol of spiritual cleansing and a sign of commitment to each other where the couple is immersed in water and then they show that we belong to each other. Jesus did this exact same thing as a sign to us that he's committing to us. In the book of Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, reading from verse 13 to verse 17, Jesus went from Galilee to Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. He said, so we, why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done if we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Jesus was baptized because it was needed. He had to show a sign of commitment to us. And that was why when he was leaving, he told his disciples in the book of Mark chapter 16, in verse 16, he said, everyone who believes should be baptized to show to the world publicly that they belong to me. So baptism becomes our mikvah, our sign of commitment to God and God's commitment, Jesus Christ's commitment to us as well. Aside from that, he also established the katuba. Like I mentioned earlier, the katuba is a covenant relationship between the bride and the groom, where, and it's established over a cup of wine. We all remember before Jesus left, before he, was, before he died, he took the Last Supper, and he had it over what? A cup of wine. And there, he established the covenant between God and us. In the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in rem as you remember me often. Remember me as you drink it. So you could also read in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 14 to verse 20. So we see that the communion was the establishment of the katuba by Jesus. He signed a legal agreement to say, I am betrothed to you now. And then afterwards, Jesus paid the bridal price for us. The third thing he did was that he paid the bridal price. That's the mohair. He paid it with his blood. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us by giving his blood. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 20, it says, For you have been bought with a price. 
therefore glorify God in your body. So Christ bought us with his blood. He paid the ultimate sacrifice to make us his bride. He paid the bridal price. And then before, just before he left, he made that promise to his disciples. That was the fourth thing he did to show them that I am the bridegroom and I'm coming back to pick my, groom, my, my, my bride. So he made a promise to us in the book of John, chapter 14, that we read earlier in verse 14, chapter 14 from verse 2 to verse 3. In the house of my father are many mansions. And if I go, if, I, if not, I would have told you. I go on to prepare a place for you. And if I go on and prepare a place for you again, I do, do I come and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, you may also be. And just before he left, he gave us instructions. He told us, this, are, this is what is going to happen when I go. I don't know when I will come back. You know, Jesus actually told us that, that he doesn't know when he's going to come because it's only his father that knows that. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, in verse, Matthew 24, reading from verse 36, but of that day and hour, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. So, just like Eli and Leah did not know when Eli will have to come back, Jesus also tells us here that, I do not know when I will return. Only my father knows. But you have to make sure that like Eli, like Leah, you are prepared. You are ready so that that coming will not meet you unawares. And so now that Jesus is gone, he's told us he's coming back. How will he come back? The return of the Lord is what we call in Christendom the rapture. And Jesus tells us, or scriptures makes us to understand, that his coming will be in three different forms. Number one, he will come like a thief in the night. Just after the same tradition of the Jews, where the groom will come at the dead of the night to pick his bride. That's the same way Jesus will come. Like a thief in the night. Scripture makes us understand in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading from verse 2. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. That's how the coming of the Lord will be, unexpectedly. Because if everybody knows when a thief will come, you'll be prepared, right? That's what he's telling us. It's going to be unexpected. The second way he's going to come is that he's going to come with a commanding shout. Do you remember in the story I was telling you, I told you that when Eli went to speak Leah, he went with his friends, and when they got there, they announced him, they shouted. That's the same way Jesus is going to come. He's going to come back with a commanding shout, with a loud shout. We see this in the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4, reading from verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not be like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when Jesus returns will meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. The Lord, this is what the Lord is promised, coming back with a loud shout to take those his bride who are prepared for him. The third thing about his return is that it will happen in the blink of an eye. It will happen so suddenly that it will happen at the speed of, speed of light. If you blink, you'd miss it. That's how sudden it will happen. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 52 tells us that it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. You physicists will know that the smallest unit of time is Planck, right? I think that's about um, 10 to the negative power of 49 or something. I can't remember my physics anymore. <laughs> Pardon me. But it will happen at that level. Very suddenly that if you blink, you will miss it. When the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. This was the message the Lord was trying to pass to his people. And I'm going to come back. I am the bridegroom. You are my bride. The church is his bride. I will come back for my church. And so, since he has given us this message, what is his expectation for us? So I go to the third perspective, Jesus' expectations from us. The coming of the Lord is imminent. He's told us there is absolutely not one prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before this happens. I, I, I hope that one of these days we'll speak more about his part, this return. The coming of the Lord, there is absolutely no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before it happens. We have to take note of that, and it will happen very soon. I remember when I was going to get married. So, um, as it is in our tradition, after you've done the introduction, you've introduced yourself, as was different from the Jewish tradition. Um, so, after we've had um, the introduction, um, you needed to agree with your um, bride parents that when will the actual ceremony happen. And so, I consulted my parents and told them, ah, okay, this is when I want to come. And so, we told our in-laws, that this was the time we are going to come. You know the funny thing? If After they told them, if my wife had said, no, that time was too close. Ah, I still want to party. I still want to go see places. I, I have friends. I need to spend more time with my friends. I need to spend more time with my neighbors and all of that. Ah, it's too early for me. I'm not ready now. Please, can you push it further? You know we wouldn't have gotten married. Because I would have felt she wasn't ready for me. But you know, that is our attitude towards the coming of the Lord. Anytime we hear that the Lord is returning, we as believers, we always feel that, no, Lord, don't come now. I still have, I'm not married. Ah, Lord, I have to get married now. I haven't, I don't have children now. Why would you come before I have children? No, please, I still need to go to Paris. I have not gone to Paris. I have a bucket list of things I want to achieve. Lord, you can't come now. It's too early. It just shows us that we are not ready for him. But that is the attitude of us as the church. Not living in expectation of his return. 
He's making the church unprepared for the coming of his groom. We have to live in expectation daily. Just like Leah was. She was always on the lookout. She was always expecting that her bridegroom would come at any time. And so that's what the Lord expects of us. So what are his expectations from us as his bride? Number one, the Lord expects that we will be set apart and consecrated for him. That we will not be prostituting ourselves around with everything. We hear this gospel, we're moving around. No, we have to stay focused and firm on him. That's why he says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading from verse 2, to the church, assembly of God, which is in Corinth, to those consecrated and purified and made holy in Christ Jesus, who are selected and called to be saints, God's people together with those who in any place call upon and give honor to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just the church in Corinth that is supposed to be consecrated and purified. All of us, we are expected to be consecrated, purified, and ready to be Christ's bride. Number two, he expects that we will be holy and blameless. That's why he tells us in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians that we read, Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 27, says that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Also in the book of First John, First John chapter 3, reading from verse 2 to verse 3, it says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's his expectation of us. That we will make sure that we are pure and holy, expecting him. Every bride that is waiting for the groom is watching and waiting. And the fourth thing he expects of us is that we are watching and expectant of his return. Matthew chapter 24, from verse 44 to verse, from verse 42 to 44, it says, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In Matthew 25 and verse 13, he also tells us, watch therefore. You know when you reiterate something, it's for emphasis. In, the, in, 25, in verse chapter 24, he reiterated it. He told us, watch. He says again, 25, watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We don't know the time Jesus will come. He might come while I'm speaking here. He might come while we're sleeping. He might come when we least expect. Are we watching? Are we waiting for him? Are we like Leah who is expecting that her, bride, her bridegroom will come at any time? Are we on the lookout? And finally, we look at Luke chapter 20, 21. Luke 21, reading from verse 34 to verse 36. It says, 
and take it to yourself. Lest at any time your hearts are overcharged with softening and drunkenness and the cares of this life, so that the care comes upon you unawares. Bills are fantastic things to pay. Realities are bound upon us. Life could be very hard. But what the Lord wants us to know is that we need to take heed. If we are believers, if we are people who are waiting for the Lord, take heed to yourself. Don't let the things, the circumstances you see around you, don't let them overcharge you. That you become, you lose focus. You lose focus of the fact that your bridegroom is coming back. For as a snare, it shall come upon all them that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape of all those things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. This morning, the Lord is sending us a message. Now, when he returns, there's a rot that is going to happen upon the earth. Today is not a day for that message. But he wants us to make sure that we can be counted worthy to escape the rot that will happen. Irrespective of what your situation is, irrespective of what you're going through, the Lord's message to you and I is that don't let it overcharge you, that you lose sight of the fact that he's returning. My brothers, my sisters, he's coming back again. If he comes, will he find you watching? Will he find you waiting? Will he find you in the right state for him to take you with him? Let's stand. This morning we have another opportunity again to ask ourselves, if Jesus should come this moment, would we be ready to go with him? If the rapture should happen this very moment, would you go with the Lord? Are you like Leah, who is in expectation, daily watching, daily looking out, making sure that your oil is in your lamp, making sure that your wedding garment is clean and pure and ready for the return of your bridegroom? Only those who are ready for him will go with him. And if today you don't have a relationship with him if you have not drank of the cup if you have not taken him as your lord and savior he's going to come and he's not going to take you I give you another opportunity today to establish a relationship with him, to sign the katuba with your, your bridegroom and make Jesus your lord and personal savior so today if there's anyone there who wants to receive Jesus as your lord and savior I'll ask that you join in this prayer. And I want for us, everyone, to just pray along with them. If you're hearing online or you're here in the room and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I know you came to die for me. I know I am a sinner. I am sorry for all I have done. 
and I receive you as my Lord this morning. You've paid the price, the ultimate price with your blood. And you went to hell that I might be saved. Lord, I receive your sacrifice and I take you as my Lord and Savior. I receive your sacrifice and take you as my Lord and Please forgive me and come live in my heart. Please forgive me and come live in my heart. Help me to live according to your will forever. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And stay with me. And stay with me. So that when you come, so when you come, I can be ready for you. I'll be ready for you. Thank you for your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the prompt reminder you've given to us again about the fact that your coming is imminent. Lord, we ask for grace to be ready at your coming that that day will not catch us unaware in the name of Jesus. Lord, give us the grace that every day we will live in expectation. We will live waiting for your return. We pray that you grant unto us this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.